Welcome to this week in Jacksonville Business Edition. I'm Kent Justice. This podcast is where we focus on economic development in the River City and throughout our region. And today, we're talking about something that many wouldn't immediately think of concerning growth and development, but it is vital, and that's the topic of warehousing. Luke Pope is the Executive Managing Director for JLL, that's Jones Lang LaSalle. Cita Preston is Industrial Services from Colliers. And then Karen Bruni Mathis is the editor at the Jack's Daily Record. Uh, Karen, why don't you get us started? Because as we were talking about these different topics uh, of economic development and growth in our area, you said, hey, this isn't really sexy. But this is really important. You've been writing about it these last few months. Well, it is. If you buy anything, if you eat anything, <laughs> if you order anything, it probably came through a warehouse. Somewhere, somewhere along the line. And because we are in the southeast, we are in a growth area, we are by a port, we are by some major interstates, all of those trucks and ships yeah. and planes come in and that's where they bring the goods right here. So we are huge for a distribution center. And we have warehousing everywhere from very, very small to over a million square feet. And that's one of the things I know we're gonna talk about is this recent leasing of one million square foot warehouses. Now you're going, oh, how big's a million square yeah. feet? Well, think of the Bank of America Tower, and it's bigger than that. Think of the malls, Regency Square Mall, the Avenues Mall, the St. John's Town Center. If you put all that space together, you're talking roughly a million square feet. That's right. how much a million square foot warehouse is. So, Sita and Luke, you guys have similar roles, but this is uh, on the real estate side here. Uh, yeah, Luke, maybe go there for me. A million square feet? Sure. That You said that's unusual, at least for our area. Is that right? For Jacksonville, it's unusual on a speculative basis, meaning we've had them before, but in order to get a million square feet in Jacksonville, you had to do what we call a build-a-suit. You had to have someone build it for you or you built it yourself. Uh, we had two developers, Vantrust Real Estate and CT Realty. Vantrust based in Kansas City, but they have an office here. CT Realty based out of Dallas and um, Orange County, California, I believe. I think I'm getting that right, um, but Southern California. And they both uh, did the first ever million square foot speculative buildings here. And so they did that without a tenant in tow, as we say, or without the uh, a tenant really prospect when they, when they kicked them off. And so we were able to pre-lease both of those buildings, which turned a lot of heads throughout the Southeast um, and especially in Florida. The fact that we were able to pre-lease two of those buildings and you've still got seven that are either under construction or sitting vacant right now throughout Florida. And so the timing was great. A lot of those larger transactions have dried up given the current you know, economic climate out there. Uh, it's difficult to get one of those buildings off the ground to get it financed, et cetera. And then when you find the tenant for it, now you still have to sell it as well if that's what you look to do. A lot of these developers we have in town are merchant developers. So they look to sell. Selling right now is very difficult. Yeah, Cedar, you were explaining to me kind of that difference between uh, whether I'm going to commission a building and okay make it just the way I want or if it needs to be on spec it needs to be already built and then attract a, the business that's going to use that warehousing right yeah that's right so uh, what we are seeing uh, is that uh, tenants do not give themselves a sufficient amount of time to identify a site and build a building to suit or to have a developer build it to suit for them so we have to have those buildings built on a speculative nature uh, to attract the tenants uh, oftentimes, even, even your large corporate occupiers will oftentimes only give themselves four or six months to identify a new location. And that's certainly not long enough to 
build a building. So you have to have, we call it the mousetrap, right? So uh, ready to go uh, and uh, including office and lighting. And, and then of course they can uh, make additional improvements to suit their needs once the lease is signed. Uh, but that way they can get in right away. So speed to occupancy is the key. This sounds like, so on one side of that, it's like, uh, hey, I'm gonna build this because I know I'm gonna get somebody to, to come lease it or move in. But that sounds like a big risk as well. Oh yes, yeah. so a million square feet, it costs a lot of money to, I mean, you have to secure the land, so you need a lot of, uh, what, 40, 50 acres, even more than that for a million square foot warehouse. Then of course you've got the materials, the construction cost, everything that goes into that. And you really need to have a pretty good idea that you're going to be able to lease that yeah. before you build that. Yeah. And that's the uh, environment we've been in where, you know, Luke's been able to lease those. And I don't know if you want to talk about the tenants, but I mean, these, these, are, these are big name tenants who need sure. a place to house their goods before they're shipped back out. Yeah, there, there's, uh, what is that relationship like between, hey, talking to people about, we're going to build this, are you going to come fill it? Well, you, you get a sense of what's going on throughout the country. You get a sense of the Jacksonville market in general. Yet you like to have an idea of some people who have maybe been kicking tires on the market beforehand, right? If we had never heard of anyone looking for a million square feet in Jacksonville, that building probably never would have been built in the first place, right? But we have. And it made, the, it made sense to do it now, for someone to try. And I applaud both of them for doing so. And, you know, it's a huge success, right? Um, I'll tell you, though, Overall, just not just Jacksonville, but about 30% of all industrial demand in the country has been in the southeast, right? Uh, people moving here, population growth, and you're seeing a lot of need for manufacturing as well as, you know, your everyday logistics and retail space, that, that type of thing. So with that being said, I would say, you know, the big drivers in Jacksonville have been what we call logistics-related parties, whether it's a third-party distribution company who's going to just go warehouse goods for other companies, or it's going to be a wholesale retailer. And I can't, I'm not supposed to reveal some of the names, but you, you get it, let's say, and this isn't who it is, but like a Target or, you know, a Walmart, something like that, right? Um, those types of companies are taking space in Northeast Florida because of the rapid population growth. And you're seeing it throughout, you're seeing it throughout the Southeast. You have the ports of Savannah and Jacksonville here. You can reach roughly 60 million consumers within a day's drive, right? Makes it a very desirable location to be in. Um, the population growth, not only are the consumers who need the goods, but it's also labor to fill these warehouses. And of course, you know, age old story of 95 and 10, right? Meeting yeah. in the middle of the town, right? And so it's always been a great spot. I would say as a market, we have really grown um, to a point where we are, you know, in the same conversation as some of our, you know, our neighbors, you know, Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, Savannah, um, excuse me, Miami, Savannah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Cena, you even brought this up, and Karen referenced it earlier. But what we were just talking about about the proximity to the port and those interstates and reaching 60 million people within a day's drive or what have you. Um, how does what we saw through the pandemic and what's happened over the last almost four years, right. how has that changed the environment for warehousing here in Jacksonville in the area? Sure. So there was a, a large migration of, of people and industry into the southeast, sort of escaping the northeast and, and the west. And so we, uh, Florida and uh, southeast in general, but Florida in particular, and of course Jacksonville were sort of that first large city 
uh, after the border between uh, Florida and Georgia. And so, uh, and logistically speaking, we're ideally situated, again, to reach all of those consumers in a day's uh, drive uh, compared to the rest of Florida, um, which takes a little longer. And so that's one of the um, statistics that's important to uh, occupiers that are looking for locations is how close am I to my consumers and how long is it going to take me to get my product there? Yeah. Uh, whether it be uh, wholesale or retail, uh, you know, what we call uh, distribution or fulfillment, you know, e-commerce. Uh, all of that matters uh, to the occupier and where they're going to be located. But we've uh, benefited from huge population growth. And uh, so it's brought more industry to the area. That's another thing they focus on or the amount of jobs available in the area. Uh, to service the warehouse, and uh, we, uh, you know, score well, and we uh, have a large uh, military population that separates annually uh, from the Navy here in Jacksonville. A lot of them stay here in the area and uh, end up taking some of these warehousing jobs. So that's one of the stories we tell to the developers, the occupiers looking in the area that uh, it's a good labor story. Yeah. Luke and Sita, is there uh, a difference in cost here in this region? I know uh, a lot of the different metrics you can look at for cost of sure. living. Hey, it's lower in Florida than some other places when it comes to warehousing, our costs. Absolutely, two things. So one, add on to what Sita was saying. You know, I don't think there's anybody who is buying less online now than they were before the pandemic, yeah. right? <laughs> and so that went into overdrive without a doubt. I think right now about 15% of retail sales are done online. By 26, we expect that number to be over 20%, right? That's huge. And so these companies have to build out their supply chains or let's say reshuffle, reorganize their supply chains to meet the ever-changing consumer, right? The consumer habits are different than they used to be. And so now you need more locations and uh, more locations than ever, closer to the people. They want it faster than ever. You know, it used to be get something in you know, a couple weeks, that's great, in two days, now it's like, I want it right now, right? Yeah. And so there's more and more of that going on. As far as cost, I think one of the most interesting things about Jacksonville is we've probably gone up 40% in rental costs since, let's say, in the last five years, in 2018. Maybe in 2018, maybe you could lease a space for $4.50, $4. That's around $7.50 now, somewhere in that, in that range. With that being said, we are still the low-cost provider for markets in the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. And so one thing we're seeing is not just people from all over the country moving here. I've done a number of leases this year with companies moving, let's say, from Miami, where they're paying $19 a square foot wow. to lease a warehouse. They move to Jacksonville. Well, they keep their offices, they keep their homes in Miami, but let's move our warehouse to Jacksonville. Um, let's pay, you know, $7, $8, whatever it is. And let's also use the Port of Jacksonville, right? And it's the biggest container port in the state of Florida. So it's a good trade-off, right? And it's saving a lot of costs. So we're seeing in-state migration as much as we're seeing Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. See, what do you think about the cost? I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, the the top two are from the Northeast and from South Florida moving into Jacksonville. It's the top two locations that we're seeing the population uh, move out of and into. That's Jacksonville. why I'm hearing more New York accents. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Both right. from South Florida and yes. from the, the Northeast. <laughs> Coming from all directions. Texas gets the Californians, we get the... Yeah. <laughs> so, Karen, uh, b before we run out of time, I, I definitely wanted to talk about this. So, one of the headlines I saw recently that you wrote about, hot times for cold storage in right. Northeast Florida. And this was about Karis Gold breaking ground on a $50 million Westside freezer cooler warehouse. Uh, that seems like something that, that is important to note as well. 
Right, we have, and you can correct me, but we have three or four or five cold storage uh, freezer warehouses that have opened in the past just few years. And a lot of that was sparked by the pandemic as well because people were ordering groceries and they needed a place to put your produce and your, and your beef and your pizzas. Um, but while these are new, we've had a lot of cold storage, but now the needs have really become much more high profile and high, high, high tech. Um, you've got very specific types within these freezer storage. I've, I've, you walk in and it's cold. There's another part of a freezer that's really cold. <laughs> then you walk into another one and you're like, I'm going to not breathe right. anymore. Um, but it all is there to house the food that they need to get in and get out. Or maybe sometimes pizza, keep it around a, long, a little bit. But nonetheless, there's a huge demand because of population, because of the needs of people who are ordering food online. Yeah, and see, did I see that you were working on this project or all, or Collier's was involved with one of these, uh, with the cold storage? Uh, so we sold the land. Okay. Uh, we, were, right. we were involved with it. Yep, gotcha. exactly, exactly. So we were on the side of the ownership that sold the land uh, for the, to the group that's developing the cold storage product. And uh, Luke and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, you know, you don't tend to see cold storage built on a speculative nature. Typically, it's an operator. Too specific to do that? Yes. So as Karen mentioned, there's typically three temperatures, right? There's the ambient, there's, and there might be fresh, and there might be frozen, and then there's different levels of fresh and frozen temperature, depending on the types of food that you're storing. So typically it'll be more of an operator, almost like a third party logistics where they might have Publix and Target and Walmart all as customers and they're storing a certain amount of pallets for each company and then delivering it as needed. But now what we're seeing are there are a few companies that are really taking the risk to develop these speculatively uh, to um, either land a tenant that is, uh, you know, managing its own operations or maybe even an operator who's then also going to bring in its own customers and act as a third-party logistics. Yeah, you know, and I started thinking about this after reading your article. Uh, boy, when I lived up in Ohio and there was Kroger and you could go to the brick and mortar, right? And then I see the signs or the trucks around go Krogering, you know, online. Um, gosh, that's got to be because they've got a warehouse nearby. They're not sending it from Ohio, right? Right. right. Um, so maybe final thing as we wrap up here, uh, what do you think the impact is of this development of warehousing? Uh, because it's not that many jobs that are going to fill a, a million foot, you know, facility, but obviously it makes a big difference uh, that we've got this and more and more companies are saying Jacksonville area is where I want to be, right? Sure. Yeah, and that's where you have the school system, you have the chamber, you even have the colleges. They're really focusing now on a logistics track um, so that they can, uh, you know, let students, young students, know that you can get a career in this. But they're also great for, like you were saying, you know, the departing military. It's good for part-time. It's good for people who maybe don't want to go to college and want to go work in the warehouse. You could make some pretty decent money working at these warehouses. Yeah, well, and I love, I love what we've gotten to talk about because, uh, again, it's maybe that area that people aren't thinking of front of mind, uh, but 
makes a, a big difference. Karen Bruni Mathis, the editor at the Jack's Daily Record, appreciate your time. Cita Preston, Industrial Services at Collier, great to get to meet you. And Luke Pope, wow. Executive Director, Executive Managing Director there at JLL. Thanks so much for the time. And I know as we got started today, I'm like, you guys need to educate me. You really did. Thank oh, you great. for that. And we're constantly we're going to bring you more interviews like this focused on economic growth in our region. You're going to find more episodes right now, including on News for Jacks Plus. Thanks for joining us for this week in Jacksonville Business Edition.